Welcome to an inspiring message from Awaken City Church. For more information about us, visit awakencity.com.au. I want to talk tonight, today, today, not tonight, about live devoted. And uh, I think devotion is a secret superpower. The, the word devotion comes to us from this, this meaning of being steadfast, being constant to something. It means to continually press forward. Devotion literally means to not give up. And that it is a great compliment to say to somebody that they are devoted. Because when you say that or somebody says that about you, what they're acknowledging is that like anybody else, you had opportunity to stop. You had opportunity to pull back. You had opportunity to give up, but you're still here and you're still going through. I think it's one of the greatest compliments that you could give somebody is that that person is devoted. And I believe with all my heart that God is calling us to be a devoted people. You know, in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 42, it unpacks this thought of the early church, the very first church, a church that had been started and birthed out of a prayer meeting. See, it seems that when Jesus had resurrected from the dead and He had visited His disciples, He spent time reconnecting with people and allowing them to experience the reality of His victory. And it says that on the day that He ascended to heaven, He appeared to 500 people. Scholars say about 500 people were present, were to see Him ascend into His glory. But He gave them a direction As Jesus often does, Jesus does not simply want to hang with us for no purpose. He wants to lead us and guide us into all truth. And He challenged His disciples, His followers, these faithful ones, that they were to stay in the city of Jerusalem and wait, and wait for what was to come next. And that was the direction. And so 10 days later, we find that group in a room that's often called the upper room in a location where they'd persevered in. But it's interesting that in the book of Acts, it takes note of how many there were. There was 120, which is a wonderful number for a prayer meeting. I think that's amazing. 120 people together for prayer, just banging it out and pressing in, considering this prayer meeting had probably lasted 10 days. But I imagine in that process that some people, maybe after the first day, First hour, second day, third day, checked out. I wonder if that direction of Jesus to wait for what was to come next was overwhelmed by the issues or the pressures that ruled their life. For whatever reason, 380 people checked out of that opportunity to welcome in what God was doing. But there was 120 that were devoted to that call no matter what would happen. And after 10 days, it says they were praying in this room and the sound of a rushing wind filled that place. And every one of those people had what the Bible calls tongues of fire descend on them. And every single one of those 120 people were then empowered with words they'd never spoken before. And they were activated and they went out to the streets and they started sharing what God had given them. And that day, one of them stood up, a fisherman, uneducated, untrained, somebody who in fact had failed in his walk with Jesus 
to the point where Jesus Himself had to pursue this fisherman to restore him to right relationship with Him, that this failed fisherman stood up and gave a two-minute message to a large crowd. And in that message, because of the work of the 120 devoted people, 3,000 people met God and gave their lives in dedication to Him. That was the beginning of the very first church. We're a result of that. For the time, for the history, for all the plants and all the different movements, we could trace ourselves ultimately right back to that moment where a failed fisherman stood up and declared all that God had done. And that church continued to grow until it spread throughout the known world. And it says in the book of Acts chapter 2, verse 42, talking about what they did that was so amazing and life-changing. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So it's to this devotion this secret source, this recipe, this commitment that God added to continually. Because the idea is healthy things grow. And what if in these four things listed, these are the healthiest things for us to individually engage with? Because here's the truth of the church, if I can tell you honestly, the strength of the church is not found in the person with the microphone. It's not found in the person who sings the best. It's not even found in the person who knows how to switch on all the lights and turn everything on. The strength of the church is found in the community of faith, in the people together, seeking and serving God and willing to make a difference no matter what. And as these people are devoted, devoted, God adds to. What if these things that we're called to be devoted to are the healthiest things possible for our lives individually? And what if individually, as we're healthy, God makes the church healthy and He adds to the number daily? What if this is a principle to live it out and not something to skim over? What if we're called to live devoted? The first thought was the apostles' teaching. They lived devoted to a better but a different way. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 to 4, the Apostle Paul, one of the founding leaders of new churches, had risen up a young leader named Timothy and started him leading other churches and challenged him and said this, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They'll turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. Here's the first thought of living a healthy, growing, vibrant life. That just like the early church, we're called to live devoted. But we're called to live devoted to the teaching of Jesus, to a better but different way of life. It's, it's better because what it does in us is it changes us as we engage with the teaching of Jesus, not just to hear it, but to live it. And as we hear it and live it, 
It brings the reality of the kingdom of God to our world and those around us. But I gotta be honest, it is better because it's true and it's real and it's lasting and it makes a difference. Just like Sue is living it out. Notice how much he refers to his faith in God as the fuel that propels him forward. That that's what it's meant to be for us. But it's different in the sense that we are going against the grain. It's different in the sense that we live today in a culture where at any point we can pull up a certain application called YouTube and we can listen to any host of teaching that we choose. Some teaching is amazing. Some teaching is not helpful. Some teaching is confusing. But the mere reality that we can access things at the push of a button without knowing how that person lives who's communicating to us. All we see is the front face. And we don't know. And we trust. Why do we trust? Because we see them on a screen. See, there's so much that we can give to. See, you can approach your relationship with God in a way where you use the things of God to try qualify the way that you already live. Instead of choosing to come to a relationship with Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm not the one who's going to force you to change in the relationship. I want you to change me. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Here's what teaching is meant to do. It's meant to course correct. That is what the apostles' teaching was. The apostles were the 12 disciples who walked with Jesus in a close and intimate setting. And the reason why these people were empowered to teach is not only did they see Jesus publicly teach, they were able to personally process the teachings with Him. Do you know that that's how teaching's meant to be given? That this is hopefully important and vital, that we publicly get on the same page. That is what teaching does. It gets people on the same page. But for teaching to make a difference, there needs to be room for processing. Do you know it's vital that we actually choose to be a part of things like connect groups or if not connect groups, at least godly relationships where it is common over a cup of tea or over a phone call to actually process the things that we're learning because it's not meant to be a form of entertainment. It's not meant to be something that fills in a space on a Sunday. It's not meant to be something that we put in our ears and we go to sleep to listening, although you can do that and I'm not criticising that. What I'm saying is teaching is meant to get from the ears to the heart. And the only way that happens is in community. I'm serious. The only way it happens is in community. They were devoted to community. Every one of those things listed, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer, was done in light of together. There was no me, myself and I. Some of the greatest things I've been a part of are the one-on-one conversations where people are free to ask whatever question they want. I love being put in a position where I can say, I don't know, but I'll help dig into the answer with you. We're meant to process the walk. And I want to encourage you. God is waiting on the other side of your obedience. It's okay to engage relationships. It's okay to press in and establish ourselves. They were devoted to a better way of life, but different. They're also devoted to hangs. Can you say the word hangs with me? Hangs. Hangs. I really tossed up having this point because I didn't know I could pull it off. 
But the idea is they were devoted to fellowship. And fellowship literally means partnership in participation. I need to say that again. They were devoted to fellowship, which literally means partnership in participation. They had committed themselves to a way of life where they were not going to tolerate isolation. That they were not going to accept the lie of the enemy that the greatest course of action is to pull back, hold back and resist engaging. But to do that, what it meant is that people were committed to loving without expectation. See, I believe with all my heart that my role is to cast my net wide in invitation and constantly put it out there for invitation for people to do the journey with me and me with them. But I can only work with the willing. I do not believe that the purpose of the church is to pursue people, to make them do anything, but instead to invite people and engage people and welcome people. And in that, allow people to make the choice for themselves that this is actually the best way of life. So this is not just something that we do out of religious practice. This is something that we do because it actually is a better way. That when people live devoted to fellowship, to hangs, to the idea of catching movies together, talking together, processing together, but it's not one off, it's over time. Transformation takes place in community. We're called to do this together. And isolation, I know we live in an age of isolation, that we've never been more connected but disconnected at the same time. It's because we've been sold a lie. The lie is that you can have connection without face to face, but I need to be honest with you. Proximity matters. I cannot, I cannot, I cannot lovingly parent my children without getting down to their level and looking them in the eye. I cannot do it from afar. I cannot do it over a phone call. I cannot do it over Zoom. I can't do it in a video text message. I can't correct because if I do that, they don't see the love in my body. They see the hurt. They, they see the correction in my voice. But when we get down on the same level and eye to eye with one another and stand with each other through the ups and downs, God works by His Spirit to bring health and life. We're called to live devoted. You deserve that. You deserve a devoted life. It says in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, Therefore encourage one another and build each other up as you're already doing. In Hebrews 10, 24, 25, Let us consider one another. What a challenge. To choose to consider another another that's maybe not immediately present, another that's beyond ourselves. Let us consider one another in order to provoke. Come on. We're not provoking animosity. We're not provoking disagreement. We're not provoking cancelization. We're not provoking shutdowns. What we provoke is love and good works. Love in the idea that there is a sense of belonging with one another and we love out of a sense of wanting to see the other succeed without competing and to good works. You can do amazing things. That's the good works. A life devoted does great things because of the goodness that God brings in and through us. Not neglecting to gather together. Don't neglect the proximity. 
Don't neglect the face to face. Don't neglect the heart to heart. As some, oh my gosh, this wasn't written today. This was written 2,000 years ago. As some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other all the more as you see the day approaching. As things get worse, the church gets better. I need to declare that publicly. As things get worse, the church gets better. As we see the day, the impending, whatever, the uncertainty approaching, we do not get caught up in that. Instead, we get captivated with the idea of a life devoted. That no matter what season of history we're living through, God is still present and He has called us and placed us now to make a difference for Him. You were born for a time such as this. You are born for the complexities of this world. You are born to overcome. You are not an accident and you are not in a whirlwind. You are called to minister life no matter what. You know, I had the honour on Friday night in overseeing our youth ministry with our amazing youth leadership team. We've had so many new young people come to the youth, some who are just recently given their hearts to Jesus, some who are yet to give their hearts to Jesus. And I met a young man who's been coming for two weeks and I had the chance to actually hear his story. His name's Cody. He's yet to believe in Jesus. I asked Cody, who has no relationship with anybody in the church, was not invited by a friend in the church. I asked him, how did you end up here? And he said, well, a mate of mine talked about this youth group thing at Awaken City, and he said, we should really go there and run amok and mess it up. <laughs> and so I got here and I thought, this is really cool. Yeah. And I actually really like it. Yeah. And he's kept coming. Yeah. While his friend who runs amok is running amok somewhere else. <laughs> that only happens through consistency and the building of a place to meet. Fellowship matters. Engagement matters. They were devoted to a better but different way. They were devoted to hangs. It also says that they were devoted to breaking bread. I want to say they were devoted to real faith. It says in 1 Peter chapter chapter 4, verse 8 to 10, Above all, maintain constant love for one another since love covers a multitude of sins. You know, God's not looking for perfect people. He's just looking for people that are willing to partner with His perfection and not stop. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Have you ever been hosted by somebody but you've not felt welcome even though they didn't say it? Because they were grumbling about it. I do that sometimes when I'm making the kids breakfast. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. This word that they use there, the breaking of bread, it meant two things. It meant that they were committed to meals together. They were committed to imposing on their schedule opportunities for unstructured meals. But it wasn't just that. When they would have a meal together, they would always share communion afterwards. That's what it was meant by breaking bread. They would get bread and break it and hand it around to remind themselves that they're here for one reason. 
despite whatever background they come from, despite whatever thing they're doing, the one common ingredient in their relationship was that they were brought together because Jesus broke Himself for us so that we could live whole in Him. They would then hand around a glass with wine in it to represent the blood of Jesus and they would all take a sip together to remind themselves that they were only here present because the grace of God in giving His life for us in Jesus was the only thing that made them right. That they weren't in relationship to pick on each other or to condemn each other. That they all knew no matter what standing they were in life, the business owners to the failed fishermen, that they were on the same page in God because God Himself had given His life in their place. And in the breaking of bread, they reminded themselves weekly that life was to be lived with real faith. It was a real faith, an engaged faith, a faith that made a difference, a faith that lived out of who they were and who they're called to be. So we can incorporate this idea of breaking of bread is that whenever we have an opportunity, we need to remind each other who God has called us to be. Do you know that communion is actually being given to the church as a reminder? Do you know that's the most powerful aspect of communion? Jesus to do this in remembrance of me. Do you know how powerful remembrance is? Remembrance brings to life a reality easily forgotten. I don't know about you and the busyness of life and just doing, doing, doing. I can forget who I am. And I can forget who God has called me to be. But the moments of breaking of bread where I have a brother stand with me and call me back to myself, where I'm reminded by God's leaning to stop and remember the breaking of bread brings me back to who God has called me to be. We need to break bread together. We need to look out. We need to empower. We need to encourage. We need to see the fact that we are called to live faith in the real life that we're in. My final thought to us, to bring this to a close, They were devoted to taking ground. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to a better but different way. They were devoted to fellowship, to hangs and a life lived together. They were devoted to breaking bread where their faith was a reality of their daily lives. And ultimately, they were devoted to prayer together. Not just alone, but together. But prayer to take ground it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 4, in the lead up to the beginning of the first church, to remind you what I said before, this is the Scripture. It says, When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. The 120. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues 
as the Spirit enabled them. And then they were mobilised and they moved the prayer meeting out from a confined space and they went outside to the open air and they engaged with people who had not experienced or encountered God for themselves. They loved God enough to allow God to empower them for a purpose, to engage their life so that they could engage others, so that they could see in themselves the ability that God's called them to take what God has given them to share. See, ultimately prayer is about taking ground or prayer together, I should say, is about taking ground. That when we have our prayer meetings before our service here, it is about taking ground together. That when we have our prayer meetings on a Wednesday night, every fortnight, it is about taking ground together. A Thursday morning, every fortnight, it's about taking ground together. When you pray in your connect groups, it's about taking ground together. When you reach out and ask somebody, I don't expect you to have all the answers for me, but could you at least pray for me? You're asking and inviting somebody to take ground with you. See, here's what it is. Prayer is the ultimate act of disobedience against Satan. Because it is not accepting things the way that they are. It's not saying to ourselves, this is my lot in life. It is engaging with what God has available. Here's what He has available. He has peace where there should not be peace. He has hope where there should not be hope. He has a reality that would not exist unless the people were committed together to seeing God work through us to make it happen. You know, in Matthew 14, there's an account in Scripture that captivates me. Jesus has just spoken to a crowd and as was His custom, He's gone off alone to pray and just reconnect with His Father. And He sent the Apostles, the 12, ahead of Him in a boat in a lake. And late at night, when it's all dark, it says that the wind picked up. The conditions were stormy. So there's a lake, there's no swell. There's no waves for Pori to ride. Pori's a good surfer, much better than me. So the only reason a lake could get stirred up with swell is because the winds were wild and stormy. The conditions were not ideal, they were oppressive. The type of conditions that when you look out and see them, you want to go inside and hide from them. And the disciples are out in the elements been tossed to and fro by the waves. And it says that they looked up and they saw Jesus walking to them. And this is what people call the miracle of the walking on water, that Jesus Himself, who is the Creator of all things, had command over His creation to the point where He would walk on water. And if you've ever seen this moment in movies, they say about Jesus, the water often looks very calm and placid. That was not the reality. He's walking over the swell that if you saw Him in the distance, you'd see Him pop up and pop down and pop up and pop down. There was no easy flow here. He walked on the storm. See, the reality is Jesus didn't just walk on the water. He walked on the storm. Peter, the failed fisherman, sees Jesus and says, can I do this too? Which I honour, which I, I, I would hope I would have the guts to say. And Jesus says, sure, step out. And so He steps out. But it says that Peter was overwhelmed by the stormy conditions. See, all Jesus, all Peter saw was the storm. 
And it says that he sank until Jesus reached out his hand. And Jesus, in the way that he does, didn't just say, there, 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 you'll be okay. No, he brought a different but better way. He said, you had the faith to do this and pulled him up. And the moment they got into the boat together, the storm stopped. Here's what I wanna say to you today. Whatever storm you are going through, Jesus is the storm walker. And He invites you to walk on the storms with Him. And if you walk with Him on the storm, He will take you to the safe place. And when you set foot on the safe place, the storm will stop. That it might be raging around you, but it will not be raging in you that it might be putting pressure on those that are living out and exposed to the elements, but because you can walk on it because Jesus has invited you, there is much more for you to give. You are called to live a devoted life. Not because the Bible says you should, but because it's the best way to live. It is the greatest life to live. A life that says, I'm willing to learn and I'm willing to change. A life that says I'm willing to hang and I'm willing to engage. A life that says I'm willing to live out my faith in reality and not hidden behind closed doors. A life that says I want to take ground because ground is there to be taken. And so awaken city, whatever you are facing right now, live devoted. In that you will see your breakthrough. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope it has blessed you. If you would like to find out more about Awaken City Church, visit awakencity.com.au.